Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest, production designer Michelle Laliberte, joins us to talk about their work on Scream 6. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. So sit back and relax as we jump into the conversation with Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. I'm glad we managed to organize a recording to talk about Scream 6. I always see, like, when you see the poster with the number written into it, I always think, do you pronounce it as as Scream 6 or Scream 6? And then the way that they've done it, you know, like how they've done with like 7 as well. Yeah, I think uh, Scream 6 is, uh, well, at the beginning, it was just going to be Scream with two uh, exclamation marks, you know, like as an almost Scream 2, like they did the Scream for the fifth one was just Scream. The poster uh, came out later and we saw it was in being a six. So voila, it came out with a different title than the working title that we were working on. But I think for the fans, it makes sense that, you know, they just call them four, five, six, and So might as well. Yeah, exactly, and carries on. It doesn't confuse people because then it's like, have they remade Scream 2? Are they doing Scream 2 again? What's going on? But at least it's a continuation of the franchise. And yeah, it's like the longevity of it and how the fan base has grown with it over the years. But I guess as well, like because the film has been out sometimes, how have you found the reception of the movie? I was really... uh... I was really happy with the reception of the movie. I was uh, surprised at the amount of uh, of love and interest and and you know passion that was uh, on the social media about about the project. We knew the fan base was gonna be behind it, but uh, it got a really large audience. I think a new generation and and previous older people uh, who saw the first ones were were there to see it again. So it reached a a very wide audience. I think as well, because the film, the whole film franchise, it's one of those, it's like a beauty of it because it's gone on for some time. You have that ability of having the old school fans of people who are like, I was there from day one to then getting those newer newer fans in and people being like, and drawing them in. I think it's that's the sort of beauty of those sort of uh, franchises. Yeah, I think the directors were really uh, fans of the first generations of these films, like maybe the biggest fans of them. So uh, even for them, like to be able to uh, recreate or you know continue this uh, this franchise is a like a gift. So that's how it felt doing it with them. I mean, they were really working for for the fans as fans. So it's got a long history, but it was a challenge to for everybody to make it up. The standards weren't gonna go down from the previous movies, but still interest people and. I think it. I think it worked from from the box office, anyways. <laughs> oh, and people came back to it, didn't they? And it's been very successful. I think as well. If you're such big fans of the film, every day must be like a pinch yourself moment of like, wow, like we're doing another scream together. We're doing we're doing it now, and then it's like it's expanded even more because we're setting it somewhere else and continuing our arc of the story. 
uh, while still bringing in the old characters. Yeah, that was the big uh, one of the one of the interest of uh, of jumping on this project was to take the characters outside of Woodsboro and and to really give it another scale and for a different different environment. And a bit more scary and more urban and maybe reach like connect to more people who live in larger areas and so some scenes in there that uh, were scripted from the beginning you know the subway scene and all of that was like like uh, candy candy scenes and and the directors were really really wanting them to be uh, to be done right and to to say new york you know there was hesitations whether it was going to be new york or just a general city or you know generic large scale city but uh, soon became uh, something that they really, really wanted to to have clear. So we transformed Montreal into a little bit more of a New York, uh, New York feel. And then they added all these wives and uh, introduced the, the city at the beginning of the movie, which really definitely helps, you know, to, to sell Montreal for that. But uh, yeah, it was a uh, one of the one of the nice things, you know, to to take it out, to take it out of Woodsboro and play in town. Going from like that small town of that sort of small population to then going to an area where it's just like you're so spread over, especially in New York with all the subway systems and the different like, different sort of boroughs as well, probably makes it easier to sort of play with of like where you can locate each uh, each sort of setting. And it's the same with like creating tension by being like, oh, we're only we're 20 blocks away. You might be 20 blocks away, but then it's New York. So you know, you have to add that tax of all that traffic and all the other people around in that city. I think it's quite with you when people talk about it, but being saying, because you're mentioning that it being shot in Montreal, that's probably quite difficult as a production designer to be trying to create a world of something very iconic like New York in somewhere completely different, you know, somewhere completely different, not even in the same country. Um, so... <laughs> You know, how do you go about designing the city to make it look like New York? And then how closely do you work with the locations department to get the right locations or right areas that you can dress or work with to create create the world? Uh, well, the locations department started really early on. Uh, I mean, the first couple of weeks we were together um, with the location manager, Michel Saint-Arnaud, and we scouted Montreal, you know, before the directors came just to uh, look for other places different places i mean we of course we know the town well so we have a lot of like go-to places the challenge was really to uh, think outside of the box and and bring them to places we hadn't necessarily filmed before so always uh, always more more fun for us to you know to find new elements and new uh, territory and there's like classic streets in montreal that are closer to new york city uh, it's a different scale of town. It's not so high. The buildings are limited uh, in height. But for the shots we were doing and the proximity that the characters have to the sets, the town was playing really well. There was no, you know, moment where we needed to establish them in, in like high rise situations or, you know, the subway was the the tricky part, uh, which was impossible to to do in Montreal. The subway has nothing to do. And we have a subway. It doesn't look anything like New York. So this was the one thing we discussed in early meetings, you know, how we were going to approach this one, how we could cheat it, what they wanted to do, how wide they wanted to see and, and what kind of action was going to happen with all the extras and the costumes for Halloween night. It was uh, you know important for the directors to have 
not just close-ups on like any train, but to be able to establish wider shots of. So that's where the construction of that set came about. So we ended up building both stations and the car, subway car, on the soundstage. So that that was that. The, the bodega uh, was a set in an area of Montreal where the streets are wider, which is a concern. Our streets are definitely, you know, more and a lot narrower than the ones that generally see in New York City. So uh, we're looking for like wider streets and we have a couple options. So we 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 ended up finding quite a great, great location uh, that could work with, you know, the area where the students were living. Um, so that was a, a one that took a while to find that uh, ended up looking really good. But it's a, it's a lot of work with the locations for sure. There's a lot of... Um, of research to do and and phone calls and permits and traffic control and uh, and a lot of signage to be changed because of our French city which we enjoy every day speaking French myself but uh, when you want to shoot for New York you know you have you have to change all this signage and anything that doesn't read English so it was quite a bit of graphics which involve a lot a lot of contracts but a lot of locations so it's um it's 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 quite a challenge, but it was it was a script that was uh, mostly location based. You know, the in general when we read it, there wasn't there's a few scenes we thought could have been done on stages. Uh, for example, Gail's uh, fight sequence in her loft. It could have been a built stage set, but we found this location and. And for many reasons, uh, including wanting to see outside like city lights and being able to go out on that balcony and being in the city, which uh, made us decide to try it on a location set, it ended up you know working well. But it was another good challenge to film you know day for night and a block of all these glass uh, windows and all the reflections in the glass, and then you have no control on the glass, unlike when you're on a stage set where you can pull it out and put it back in in VFX. And you know, there's all these tricks uh, you can use when you're on a stage that are kind of out of the question when you're on location. So, yeah, different different challenges, but the movie was more to a scale of of uh, principally being done on locations. I think what's crazy to think is that the detail that people might not notice like the changing of the street signs and the covering up of the, all, all, something that's in a completely different language because as like a, a run as a viewer you wouldn't notice these things but then it's also it's important because there's people who are so eagle-eyed that will notice these things at the same time and there's also the, that detail of just making sure that's correct there's also when you're on location how much work needs to be done to make sure that everything's dressed correctly and looks correct and what the limitations will bring from it. Uh, it's quite interesting as well when you talk about the subway scene which I'll, and that subway set, which I'll have a question about that a little bit later on. But with with something like that, is the knowing where you have to cut it, you know, this is more for maybe a DOP and editors, but having that match cut of how it looks like somebody going into the subway and then that, being on the stage compared to lo- location work as well. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's always, you know, l- lighting issues, or you know, t- that really, that really tell uh, where you're, whether you're really somewhere, or then you're, you know, it's, it's, it's the the lighting really plays a, a big role in in making a stage set feel like a feel like a location work. Really, I, I think Brett's uh, Brett's work in the subway scene was uh, in, immense. <laughs> He had a lot to do on like all the traveling 
because our car, you know, when we're traveling, our car is just shaking, but like there's no you know, movement, of course. So the, the lights we were traveling to create that effect and, and they did a really great job at that. It was a, a lot of uh, R&D and like looking at other subway scenes and other movies to see how they were done and what worked well and what, you know, what we needed to do. Our, our scene was a little different because it was packed with extras. So we barely could see outside the windows. It was like hints, you know, of bits of lights going through. So we didn't necessarily need a tunnel set. It was really just the lighting was doing fine. But it, it took a few um, a few meetings, you know, and uh, discussions around the table to, to figure out which strategy was going to work, where it's going to work best. And we ended up doing that uh, in like a separate setting in a black box, with just a curtain black box. And then the, the location, uh, uh, the station set were built beside it. And we just like rolled our, our subway in it when the subway was coming into the into the stations. I find that as well incredible, the sort of idea of the lighting setup, because you forget that the, the car, the car, the car is moving, the train car, but then also the lights will move with it as well. It's like something that I completely wouldn't have thought of. And that probably has to go into your design process to make sure that whatever they rig doesn't hit your train car. <laughs> yeah, well, they did. They did break the glass, but it just made it look more like New York, you know. <laughs> so it just looked a little bit more damaged and a little bit more used, and so be it. You know what can you do? It's like the first shot when when the Mindy got her head banged into the glass, the glass cracked, and I was like, well, what can we do? You know, we we either take a time to change it or we just optimize the day and keep going. And uh, in the end, it it's it was left like that, and I think it's you know working fine. Sounds like a producer's dream. They don't need to spend any extra money on uh, <laughs> on uh, on uh, the materials. So people have done you a good, great, big favor. <laughs> it was a, it was not a bad uh, it was not a bad situation at all. But uh, it happened a couple of times. We had glass breaking. Sometimes we had to fix it. But yeah, there was a bit of action in every in every set. I mean, uh, yeah, every set was a was a fighting. Uh, well, most of them there were fights in so there was a bit of a you know in location work like therapist office you know when they he, ghost face comes in the therapist office there was a glass uh, change there so we it was supposed to be just a peephole that the therapist was looking through the through the hole to see ghost face and we proposed a different uh, look so we could see a shape coming through and the grading behind and so that that modified the sequence quite a bit, but then the breaking of the glass and the falling on the ground. So we had to pad, you know, those paddings and and breakaway elements that are in, incorporated into the location. So there's always a bit of construction that's uh, going on behind all of these construct all of these location sets. Even though you know we're not building all of it, uh, we did build a few sets. The apartments were construction sets, uh, stage sets, and the and the subway. I think that's that's it. Everything else was a uh, those locations i think as well when you're talking about that ghost face interaction with the therapist right. office sorry how the how changes in the in the location can also affect the script so instead of that peephole it's that one big glass uh entry and actually it's quite quite more foreboding just seeing like the idea of the shadow come out to attack uh, the therapist yeah, we had a couple of discussions with the directors on how much, you know, uh, texture we wanted to put in that glass. Since we were building the glass as a breakaway glass, you know, we had all the control in the world on the amount of 
of frost or texture we had uh, going on. So we did a couple of tests, you know, how much we see him, the silhouette, and then the detail of his face when he walks in. But I really like that that uh, that sequence when you see him walk into frame. I think the the shot is really beautiful. It was a big plus. I think it visually. I mean, thinking as a as a visual, you know, production design uh, eyes, you always want to try to put you know as much uh, in the frame as you can, and definitely think this this glass with this grating behind it was visually more. Uh, impressive to see with the ghost face than, than to, to, just to stare at a hole where you see nothing but the person looking you know you can't see what the person is seeing so it was a a little a little change but uh, I think it made a nice impact in the on that sequence uh, I, this is this one's on me we did jump a bit on the questions I didn't get to ask about how the project came about and what made you want to take it on yeah I I um that's a that's a fun question. It's a project that I wasn't expecting to to do, or or if I may say, willing to do. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't a horror fan at all, and uh, so so when I got the script, I was really not uh, like not spontaneously attracted to the project. I I knew of Scream. I had seen the first one way back when I was uh, twenty six or something, but I I didn't. I didn't really want to do it. I was like, yeah, I'll read it. But and I started to read and I stopped after a few pages because of this, you know, first sequence, which is so intense. And uh called back the producer as like, I just can't do this. You know, I'm just gonna I'm not gonna enjoy this at all. And and I don't want to go through with this project. <laughs> and then he, he proposed that I, you know, start by watching the other movies again. And then I meet the directors. And, and so I did. I watched them all like a full week of watching them again and again. And then uh, got caught up with the with the fun meta self-referencing aspect of it, uh, which is very playful. And, and like it, it became like a more like a like a game. And, and then I ended up reading the rest of the script, obviously, before I met the directors and and when I hopped onto the museum at the end, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, after seeing all the movies, thinking you're going to do, uh, recreate, you know, a, a, an homage to the whole franchise, like uh, wrap it up and really dig into all this self-referencing, but like the hyper meta set. <laughs> so I was, uh, that that to me was like interesting as like attractive and uh, and and the fact that it wasn't in Woodsboro after watching the five first ones that, that it was you know there was one in Hollywood which was interesting to take the characters out so I thought having the characters out of Woodsboro was was a fun uh, twist on it and then I I had this Zoom call with the directors and that was it I was convinced I mean the guys are you know like I was saying they're like the, the they're great fans of the franchise. They just uh, love these movies with uh, deep passion and and respect the fans. And so their their take on it was like never sarcastic or condescendent. Or they always talk about you know this movie franchise with so much love and and care and and sincere interest that it's like a you know it's contagious. So yeah after the call i was you know convinced i i wanted to, to do it with them it was uh, no doubt and then i had to convince my crew because there were a lot of people reacting like i was you know <laughs> although there was a few people that were really deep fans that came on board graphic artists for example who was like really into this so that was really fun from the beginning you know i was like learning 
and becoming a fan as I, I was uh, digging into all of these uh, details. But uh, it was fun to have people react spontaneously to proposals, you know, like have a fan reaction and like, oh, my God, this is going to be good. You know, <laughs> this is going to work. We got to do this. You know, there was like a, a reactions from the inside of the department, too. So uh, that helped me. Uh, grow you know grow my interest on the on the project and and the fun just kept going on like kept growing as we were as we were doing it it became a really like a family it was like becoming a part of that of that family i think it's also a testament to the producer to sort of not give up on you in terms of like go back go with a fresh mind (laughs) and go from there and see what you know see, see if you're if you change your mind and then We'll build up from there. And, you know, it does this Yoda mind trick to get you back in enticed again. But you do mention that first, that first scene where it's very tense, but it's also very brutal. And I guess you could say it's that the cold opening and it's just, I can imagine reading on screen can be quite difficult as well because you're just like, oof, this is <laughs> happening, this is happening. It's like, where are we going to go with this? Yeah, after a couple, I was like 10 pages in, I was like, oof. I think I'm just gonna sleep on this, you know. This <laughs> not possible. No, it's a it's a, it's an intense script to read for sure. But after you know, after a couple of pages, you dig back into the characters, and you know, once you're off of that, uh, Greg and Jason's apartment, you know, because up until that end of that sequence is uh, like killing after killing, yet you don't understand anything. You know, you don't know who these people are, what they're doing. There's like no introduction. It's kind of a cold. Uh, coldly like covered in blood after a couple of pages so it was a yeah it was the first time I was reading a script that was so harsh to start with but it it was a fun scene to to, to film I mean it was like shot on location she was screaming for real that the people in the in the area you know it's like some people weren't happy it was like in the middle of the night you know and they were coming I was like come on guys you guys are a little noisy for filming at night, you know, usually you try to be quiet, but she was screaming her lung, lungs out, couldn't hold it. You know, it's just like, you have to do what you have to do, right? <laughs> so it was a it was a fun night. Filming on location, yeah, you will have those people come up and be like, what is going on? But also if like they never, they didn't warn people, they'd be like screeching. Uh, I wonder how many calls the police must have got uh, or ambulances <laughs> at that time to be like, oh my gosh, yeah, most something's people crazy is happening. Warned, but you know, there's always one person that missed the that missed the warning, <laughs> and it has to work at five in the morning. And you know, it's like, yeah, it was a it wasn't easy on the location uh, residents, but thanks to them, you know, it's a it's a nice area of town. This was shot in Old Montreal. In a little alley in Montreal, it's a street that's really looking like a like a, one of the streets we have that do look a bit like New York. So, the most like New York. So it was it was kind of a gotta do it there, and not many other options. And and around that had this connection with, you know, a nice place to do the restaurant, which wasn't a restaurant, but we cheated inside and outside in different locations, and then that little alley next to this big passing street. So, it was kind of a one of a few options we had and had to make this one work. So that was a hard location work. I can tell you the location departments worked a lot on this entry scene. <laughs> it was a challenge for them, for sure. Yeah, I think, it, again, just like the whole overall, the insight of it as well, that the fact that it's in New York and then it's not actually shot in New York and the way that people are able to cheat these things to create the looks and whatnot, it's always still, I think that's probably the most 
amazing thing that, that how much work people go in to get these things to look right and it just yeah. looks and it, it is just the sort of I don't know it's very hard to sort of describe but the sort of admiration you would have for people to go in and and just be able to pull the audience into this world yeah there's many departments involved to make the magic happen but uh, especially in city sequences like that uh, picture vehicles are are key you know uh, cabs and buses and and uh, ambulances and anything that has you know graphics police cars yellow cabs are like the iconic image that you know sell new york yeah. also i want to sort of jump in because you mentioned it earlier about the shrine which is kind of like a centerpiece of the film with lots of details hidden in it and also on display uh literally and figuratively so there's going to be like a, a number of questions regarding it so apologies if it comes off as quite loaded but where do you begin with the design of the area is this something that's written in the pages that it's got certain certain items from certain films and it's set in this whole area or did you just did it read as like a blank canvas and you had a lot of creative freedom of what you wanted uh, to create yeah it, it's uh, somewhere in between the, the two i mean we had a lot of of creativity uh, room in there the script was uh, the first script we got was really vaguely mentioning well some elements you know a schedule from a student a Mickey's class and then you know uh, there's the knife that killed or stabbed Kirby and there there were just a few things that were mentioned that were related to this story but the the space itself was scripted as a generic warehouse there wasn't much you know description about what it was and it was like a blank canvas and even like the directors didn't really know why this location, why they had a warehouse, who was creating that shrine. Even all of these questions uh, were still in the air. Like who was the, we wanted to have a shrine. We wanted to celebrate the franchise that was clear, but uh, like who was the, the brain behind it and who created it? sort of came up as we were starting and, and digging into the into the script. Before the directors came, we did scout uh, for warehouses and larger ones and smaller ones and with different textures. And, and, and some places were interesting to, to do this drawing as well. But um, the idea, I mean, since the script was loaded with references to Scream 2 and, and at the time was even like going to be titled Scream you know, two, like the first, like the fifth one was Scream Scream. There was a definite relationship, like the the quad, uh, you know, phone call and Ghostface on the phone. And there, there was a lot of, of references um, from two. And uh, so came the idea to introduce the, the theater, which was, you know, in two, whether at the beginning with the movie theater uh, sequence or at the end with Sydney playing in a theater play. And uh, the final killing happening in that theater. So, so the the theme was like suggested by Scream Two, and so we started to look for, with the locations team for options of interesting abandoned theater that we didn't know of in Montreal. You know, no living here, we had no like, oh, that's gonna be here. You know, we it wasn't like an evident choice at all. And um, and having that, so we found a theater that wasn't closed. It was functioning. It's not abandoned, but it's a. Uh, but their schedule was open to to some flexibility and and having a, a window that we could you know slide our prep and shoot and wrap in 
And so we proposed those, this place to the directors and they came and visited it and, and the writers came and visited the theater. And, and we ended up rewriting the scene uh, for it to be set in, in this space. So the area was like one of the biggest questions, like why and but but then it it made it uh, it it gave this uh, direction to the whole scene where I was it became clear that Richie was the you know the collector and in Scream Five there's like a you know a ton of places where he just acts like he doesn't know anything about the franchise so so having now in six like the realization that he knew more than anyone any of those killings and and knew exactly what was happening and. It makes the fifth one look even uh, even more uh, scarier. <laughs> it's like a you know give five an, another layer in in hindsight. But uh, so when Richie became the the collector, the the fact that he was a young filmmaker studying movies uh, with Greg and Jason and and collecting these elements uh, that were that were triggering real killings, you know, they, all these evidence of real killings that were triggering scenes for movies. That was his uh, interest. So he was creating his own movies. So came the idea of this projection screen where we could project his movies on and our bits of his movies or of his world. So we shot these films. And uh, so it kind of grew on itself uh, as, as we saw the potential of that space. I think it really changed the whole end of the movie. It, it it gave it color, flavor, like the 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 fact that the screen was in between the audience and the and the stage, also gave us some different rooms for fights and different colors and layers of uh, lighting possibilities too, with the projection of the movies and the and the big opening of the of the projection in a room with this nice light and and the yeah concession stand at the beginning you know at the entrance which offered another type of space so all of these areas of the of the location uh, gave the writers some material to rewrite the scene so a bunch of scenes were rewritten to suit that and and as we went we were doing that we knew we had to do the the shrine itself like the collection and that was like first of all it became just like a big list i mean we were uh, on watching all the movies and making a long list of like all the killers, all the killings, all the murders, and 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 who was killed and how they were killed and what were the the objects that could have been kept by police department as evidence of crimes, you know, what on crime scenes, what they could have kept for analyze, you know, uh, which would be what Richie would have gotten from his father. So that was kind of the logic behind. So we made a nice long list of uh, over a hundred elements and. Uh, presented that to the directors with photos and screen grabs and all of those things. And and not knowing we could reproduce them all, but at least just to trigger the conversation. And and every item was like, a, gotta do that. Oh yes. Oh yeah, that would be amazing. Oh my God. You know, like fans would react to all of these. Well, they they were reacting just like that, you know, and they wanted it all. So, so we went all in. So it was like a joint venture, all departments on board and um it's like, uh, you know, costumes, every piece in, in costume design. I mean, created Stu's robe, uh, Billy's shirt, uh, Nancy Loomis's outfit. You know, all of these were re recreated, um, matched the bloodstains and the rips of them. So, I mean, you can go through the list, but there's a, there's a, 
all of these costumes. And then there's a props uh, that did like the fax machine uh, from uh, Scream 3, you know, <laughs> that got cut on fire. And so we burned out a fax machine. And everything became like a, you know, joyful uh, reproduction of people trying to make it as good as can be for the fans to, to see. So yeah, props were involved, you know, Dewey's badges and all the knives and, and, and then all these amazing drawings that were done by uh, Jeff Fisher Wood, like, um, like if uh, Richie had taken the time to, to analyze uh, every killing and every murder and, and redraw it and spotting where the wounds were and understanding the killings and like as a paying respect to the to the ghost face killers so these allowed us to have some images within the displays you know to to put faces that fans could recognize uh, and help understand what like whose knife that was and add to the precision of the of the presentation there's a lot of graphics involved in there two graphic artists were all over the place with the posters all the stab posters the posters from the theater play the the cheetos bag that was reproduced you know for with the camera for the photographer that gets uh killed in the van there's a stabaton tickets you know all you want construction got involved and they had a they had a direct star to build and rebuild that mask from Scream 3. I mean, the list goes on and on. And in the end, we have almost everything that was on that list, but a few pictures that were we couldn't we couldn't get the rights on, or you know, it was very like specific things that we couldn't reproduce that had to be the thing and we couldn't get the thing. In the end, it was quite a it was quite a success. And when the what the directors walked in the set the first time, they were like kids in a candy store it was the best reward you can get for hard work you know yeah, their reaction was just golden so we knew we hit the mark when we saw their face it was a it was quite the quite the gift but the and the fans reacted the same but uh it it, it was really as we went along and they were positioned so that they could you know interact with the action and there was a lot of rehearsals so it was a work in progress it was an all uh written at all it, it really was something that grew uh, that grew as it became more real there's a lot of illustrations done also uh, and we did illustrations to show where we were going to put things how the lighting would work because it's a dark place but they need to see what's inside the casing so we made nice illustrations to show the directors you know the thinking of how we could light that and I mean, I have all of these images on my website. If people want to have a peek, I can give you the address. So you can have a look at the images to, to see, you know, what's uh, of these illustrations. But it was a super tool to to work with, just uh, even for us, so we can move things. Because when we got in the location, it was a very quick installation. And we already had to, you know, make the whole place look damaged because it was like a nice theater. It wasn't damaged at all. So all the aging had to be done. And so I'm moving all the seats around and and changing the curtains for damaged curtains and putting our own. And we even built a back wall. The back wall of the theater is a stage, a fake back wall. So there's a quite a bit of construction that came in and then we had very little time left to dress all the elements in. So we had to know exactly where they were going. So all of these planning was really helpful. So to sort of listen to the answer, because there's so much to sort of take away from it in terms of having, it sounds like you had a lot of creative freedom because it was not having that much written 
on page but then also the sort of like having your team going through that painstaking process of all right so this is what we want to have from each screen film this is what we want to get and then recreating that so i can imagine there'll be certain ways that somebody will would have done let's just say the tv that fell on stew's head now actually you know the, the crack is in the wrong place the crack needs to be the opposite side of the screen and then it's those moments as well we have to put those that sort of extra detail into it to make it to recreate then also the idea of like there must have been so much that you needed to choose from and what wanting to put in but then also there must have been one or two things where you think mm, maybe not necessary or maybe this would be too big to recreate for example uh this is just an example so please whoever's listening don't bite my head off if you have the garage door on screen one for example it's like you wouldn't be able to put a whole garage door into that area yeah we we ended up putting the one slice of garage door where the cat trap was uh where she got trapped but uh yeah the whole door in the space would have just looked wrong you know so and be too heavy and too present for so it was like suspended and you know there there were a lot of elements that were background this green mask from screen screen was so huge that uh almost didn't make it to the final uh, cut and you know i was like oh it's gonna be over overkill to see that it's such a strong color and such a big presence but uh, i thought it was just a hilarious element and like so bad i mean <laughs> It's so large and green and the color and everything and like impossible to miss, you know, from screen three. So we just had to find it a spot. So it was like, you know, put a little bit further in the distance, but, you know, it just adds to the layering of things. And and like, why would the cops take the whole garage door? You know, it's like, it's like this logic too. Why would you just, you just grab the thing that has the blood stain on it to capture the, and, and everything else, you know, why would you bother to, take it all so it it was um it was yeah more discussions and and like try to apply some form of logic to our decision and it became its own uh, its own sort of game of finding the right thing placing it the right way and and not overloading the place having some room to move around have all this action happen have some things that have to be breaking away because they're falling on them so there's like you know what can we break what kind of casing, what's inside, what's not dangerous to fall on, that doesn't gonna seem not, not gonna hurt, or we can make it soft, or so there's all of these uh, conversations with stunts. So many considerations in the end that you know end up uh, the decisions sort of make themselves by this logic that applies to the set. Yeah, then you're you're right. How, why would someone have that? that whole garage door and imagine even buying it and then how does somebody transport it and then how odd would that look as well thinking about having this whole thing or even to the case of like spoilers i know it's like a family orientated killers imagine finding out your son spent like ten thousand dollars on a garage door exactly well you know, it, it it has it's it's all a little weird and over the top. You know, to think that Richie collected all of that, that he would have rented this whole huge theater, you know, or squatted. So we're more into that kind of this place was abandoned. You kind of see it when they come out of the subway station to go to the theater in the last time they go, and they're walking on the sidewalk. There's this theater beside them, 
and it's all graffitied over and we're saying this is this is that theater that they're going into they're just walking by the front entrance just to to establish how um how damaged and abandoned the place is because once they walk inside yeah there's spider webs and it's back entrance and full of graffiti and we tag the inside but I think it's, he's just squatting the space and not paying for it. He's not like renting this space, but you know, of course, then there's all the lighting, and you know, the the costumes are all lit and the projector is working. And so, I mean, when you try to find a logic, you fall short a bit. But uh, you sort of have to dive into the 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 logic of the screen movie and 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 accept, you know, conventions for for the for the love of it, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I think that sort of epitomizes how fans, when they have, when there's people who are super fans, or in Richie's case, sort of not even obsessed about it. I think obsessed is like times 10, what it can do to like people's psyche and what it can make them do. And as you said as well, it adds another layer to Scream 5 where you think it's just someone who kind of, took it on to the next level and then it's just yeah it makes it even darker with that they were always a fan they always knew that they were into this sort of stuff they were always pretending that they weren't and then actually they they're just completely they're, they're completely upset yeah that gets into the toxic fan you know toxic toxic fandom it's like uh just uh too far you know taking the thing too far and, and liking this to an extent that you want to create killings to make your own movies about them. And, you know, it's, it's uh, like losing the <laughs> losing reality in it. So that, that's, that's the scary. Um, that That's why when, you know, you say all the victims walk in there and they see all of these things, whether it's their, like their uncle's shirt or the knife that stabbed me or the, you know, so it's really related to each of them individually. I mean, that that was a layer that was fun to do and fun for the actors, too, when they walked in it. It was like, you know, it took a moment before they started filming. They were just like, you know, looking at everything like a real museum. And people are like, oh, people would pay to see this, you know, should open the doors and let people come in. <laughs> but like to the level that you would actually collect that for yourself and like own everything that was all the evidence of all these crimes as a as something you do in your life as you're studying and having a job and a girlfriend and you know but having all of that in your mind is uh telling you a lot about the character that's uh that richie was or it's it's like it built it built richie's character in in six even though he wasn't in the movie well he was on the on the screen we see him uh, it's like a uh, the actor sent us movies from that he filmed of himself when he was young and that's what that was projected on the screen. Like it's the same. So it's pretty. It was pretty sweet for him to collaborate with us and and give us some visual that uh, would help us sell the idea that all of these projections were his creation. He does create that ominous presence, really, by being there, and you just know that like what is going on. And then when you see the twist happen, you're just like, ah, oh, okay. It just sort of all makes sense in that sort of way. Just going back, because I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the subway and the whole scene of that. And But what I'm curious about is the use of space for something like a subway car, because it was because it was built on a stand stage rather than in, actu- in an actual subway car on location. So you had that sort of freedom of making it 
bigger or smaller and using that space. And what conversations do you have with other departments to make sure that you can create something that's going to be fit for use and that you can kind of make sure that it's rigged correctly and that, but you can also create like that sort of iconic uh, subway feel? We had a DP who was from New York. Brett was living in New York. So the the subway car was very sensitive to him and it had to be put on. There was very little uh, modifications from reality that we did to the train. It's the same size. It's the same length. There's just a, like there's a driver's places that are in each uh, car that create a little nook inside that we took out to uh, give us more room at the end of the of the car. That's basically the only uh, modification we made. Uh, they really wanted to have it, have it just like it's supposed to be. The directors in general, I mean, are filming more. They're not. They're not the directors who will pull out walls to film as if the place is small. And it's just not the way they do things. They they work like they work on location. Even if they're on the soundstage, it's gonna be the set on the soundstage was a little bigger than it, you know, normally would have been for an apartment. But that was like really to have the camera inside the place and not be able to not not need to remove walls or or wild things as we were filming. So same for the subway car. It wasn't, I mean, doors and we were controlling the opening and the closure of the door with special effects. And the train car could move in, roll in our our station. That was collaboration with special effects too. They were pulling and pushing it to, uh, to put in position. We had the, we used this little magic trick of adding a mirror at the end of the car to make it like there was a second car in the station, although we just built one and it also allowed it to extend the amount of extras, which were all in costume. So you just see more and more people in the background. But that was all tests that we did. Now the lighting too was uh, in, incorporated into the set design. I mean, as train station, you subway station, you really see the lighting, you know, it's a, uh, it's like practical lighting. Oh, the whole set was lit by uh, the practicals that were put in. So we collaborated with electrics to make sure that we had the right lamps and modify our fixture to to allow for their for their tubes, uh, which we often do. Uh, nowadays, the tubes don't necessarily fit in standard fixtures, so we're like you know adapting. And so that was most collaboration. And then there's a conversation with uh, you know color wise of like choices of advertisement and costumes and trying to discuss you know how we how we balance you know the amount of color we put in our ads and versus the amount of people in the car which is already making it super busy so we had a little bit of a balancing of this uh, visual uh, information there it was a one station that became two stations so we had a changeover to do so there was a logistics on this uh, front too it was a nice, it was a great set to build. I mean, it was full of texture, full of patina and, uh, you know, the tiles and all these great details that you can find about New York uh, subway stations are so beautiful. So it was a very nice research-wise and for the painters and sculptors and everybody involved in it to, to make it real. I think as well, when you're talking about the design, having that mirror to make it look like there's a lot more people, but then also there's the idea of, your ads not being too bright as there's quite a lot of people already there in the car and because it's halloween there's going to be such a mixture of colors with what people are wearing and there's different outfits that people 
can come up with on 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 such a day. But I guess that also comes down with, with the costume department of what they're going to put in. So if they say we're going to have someone all in red, then you kind of like, well, I have to tone down what we have at the back, change the graphics there, which is also quite like interesting and what a different sort of challenge that is going to create as well. Yeah, it was a great collaboration with Avery on every front. And she was, uh, she she came in and really like, whether from the therapist or the, we were discussing you know, loca- every location, what were the palette, color palette and trying to keep it steady through the movie. And as a general note, we were trying to avoid reds, you know, from to, to leave all the place for the blood to splash and, and take the, the red impact. You know, red is such a strong color on screen that it was a, uh, our our wish to keep it to a minimum or, or or nothing at all until we get to the theater, which is a red space, or, you know, like the killer's box. Um, so there was very little of that throughout the movie. Anything we could control that uh, we we took the red away, and it it worked well. I think it really did. Like you end up in a bathroom scene with all this blood splash, it it really just makes for this color to to even uh, have a bigger impact just what's happening on screen and adding to that sort of tension as well, making sure that it's not an assault on the eyes for the viewer, um, but also just making sure that it looks perfect for what they have. Just to go to my penultimate question, what was your favourite set design? It's always a hard one, but I mean, in this movie, I think that the theatre is definitely the one that comes to mind first for all the reasons that we've discussed and the, I I studied theater before. I I just love the I just love this the load that comes with this the space. The fact that it was abandoned. The research we had to do on these abandoned theaters, uh, just beautiful imagery uh, and and all the you know the graffiti work and all of this that got started uh, at the theater and it was spread throughout the movie. The it it was a. Um, so many details and such a nice collaboration with departments that it was the most, you know, for me, the most fun thing to do. The apartments had, had uh, you know, were a nice challenge too for other reasons and and action and, but, uh, you know, find the space that really worked for the scenes we wanted to do and uh, the inside and outside and the connection with the locations that we had. And so they were like a location for the uh, shaft where we saw Danny in the ladder scene. And then another location for the lobby sequence, and then the apartment kind of blending these these two locations. So this was a nice challenge technically, you know, the apartment and and to give the the right mood and spread hints of who the killers could be here and there. And it was a, I mean, every set was different, and and but the yeah, the theater was definitely like the candy, a little you know icing on the cake. Yeah, I think it's always going to be the standout. I think that would be one to choose from. I think for me as well, the bodega is quite cool. And I think that's more to do with like, have, it's like an, it's something, you know, obviously in the UK, we have something different than a bodega, but we have something like a similar sort of setup. So it's like the idea of seeing something in your everyday life on a film and how you kind of just be like, everything, it doesn't look any different to what we'd see in real life. So it's like, the light for light looks really cool. But then also the whole action sequence there in the way that there's a deliberately been set up with these these sort of bottles are here, this section is here, that also the mirrors for 
at the top. I'm not sure what they're called, but the sort of mirrors that the owner can look in to see what uh, customers are doing. It's things like that as well that kind of you don't think about as like a big set piece, but it's also just like actually stuff like this is really hard to do and it's really cool to see as well. It was actually a, a it wasn't a bodega per se when we rented it. It was like a beer store and, and there was nothing in the middle except beer cases and, and beer displays. So we emptied it all basically. It was all everything went to the basement and it was filled with our with our set dressing. It's it's a big action scene with a lot of blood and killing. So it was hard for uh, like, you know product used to it was like not everyone wants their bottles splashed with blood it's not a, it's not something that's easy to sell to uh, to companies you know yeah give us the right to use your bottles and we'll just you know cover them up in blood so many people turned us down and and we had to come up with you know our own beers and which created for a lot of fun uh, names you know that so if you dig in and look at look at the detail on the cans you know there's a lot of fun little fun little names there but uh you know we had some sponsors or people that allowed us to use the real products that's always nice because it gives the reality you know it's a you you react to real products like it's a real place so it was a really really nice to have a couple of of partners there that uh, went along with our with our crazy scene and allowed us to use their products but yeah, the mirrors, that was all added in. And uh, there was a choreography that was really clear to the directors of how they wanted to play. So it, everything was positioned, you know, the aisle, the aisles and the, so that the, but to, to be, so that the scene would work, but but the to be in a real place, I, I mean, the texture that you get and the, the you know, the, the use on the floor, the, you know, the patina that's there. The, the lighting when we changed all the light sources but uh, you know the fixtures were there and so it's a, like a harsh uh, they really played like a harsh cold light it was it was a location that worked really well it, it's it was a hard scene to do on a location and it was the last thing we shot it was the last day of filming we're on the bodega set so it's uh everybody was you know happy and sad that it was uh Happy for the set to be finished and sad that the movie was done. It's a set that has a little sweet sour uh, <laughs> memory to it. I think as well because films aren't shot in order. It's funny how this is the last scene that's like, like sort of last scene shot, and it's the sort of last scene that you're dressing. So it's probably I can imagine it being quite hard as well because you have all these a mixture of both probably fake company names and also real company names, and then. There's always uncertainty with company names because you have to get the rights to use them. Then if somebody explains like why why using it, it's like it's for a horror film, probably covered in blood. People get probably get quite hesitant, and so there's not a bad image of it. So I can imagine you have those backup posters for cool's light beer that you know last minute they'll say yes, so then you just have to switch that around and making sure you don't have anything that they said no to being visible. Absolutely. It, it was really, uh, and there was even, even visual of the companies that we did have, you know, access to, but like some specific posters that they had, we couldn't use, like, you can use this one, but not this one. You can do this, but not that, you know, so it, there was a, it was quite tricky. And, and we almost, you know, we were like, we can't do it where they go with this scene. We have to find another store, something else, you know we don't have enough product it's going to be too complicated 
anyways, we had a lot of resistance on uh, subdressing and because we, I mean, we just didn't know how with the means and time we had and crew, how we could make it work. And we thought we were going to get more product placement than we actually did because of the reasons we just discussed. So it was quite a challenge, but there was a lot of products that uh, we, we did a, like a, a setup in the shop, you know, in all the aisles and put our all the products we could find that had no specific graphics or created some of our own labels and the graphic artists were uh, all over the all over the place. It was just after the we shot the theater with all these details and posters and books and articles and all of that. So the bodega was like a huge, uh, huge graphic fiesta. <laughs> In and out, <laughs> the street dressing, all the names on the stores around. You know, there was a uh, trucks and vehicles to dress and ads on buses and ads on cabs and so it was a. Uh, New York being New York and Montreal being Montreal, a lot of things to hide and street signs. And so it was a, that, that last final, final location was a, like a firework, <laughs> firework finale. Getting everything in there. And then also the graphics team being able to sort that out, all those posters and put in all that effort as well. It's like, this is your time to shine. Let's see what, let's see what you can create and let's make it look as cool as possible. Just to go to the last question, the film, it has a lot of Easter eggs in it. Some of them are very visible, some of them are not. Some of them are in the theatre scene. What was your favourite Easter egg uh, to put into the film? There's quite a few of them and they're like spread throughout. Favourite one? Well, I have a special... uh... A special uh, care. I I like the painting in Quinn's bedroom uh, quite a bit. I don't know if uh, you've seen it, but one that I like a lot. I mean, it's a painting that was in one of Hitchcock's uh, movies that uh, we found a replica of and, and installed it. It was in the killers of the living room. So we decided we'd just drop it into Quinn's bedroom for the sake of like hinting that maybe she's, you know, in the family. But so that was a, to me, that was a little spicy one. To, like, are we daring to do that? Okay, let's do it. You know? But uh, there's also the, 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 originally the bathroom, you know, the bathroom murder, um, the guy who's dead in the bathtub. We were supposed to do the, the scene, you know, we were supposed to film the scene where he was getting killed and it was really close to the psycho, classic psycho shower scene. So our bathroom in the girl's apartment is like based on the psycho bathroom, lighting, tiles. That's kind of a nice little uh, wink, wink that uh, we had in there. There's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things. I I love the the Russian dolls that we did of the ghost faces on the chimney mantel of the Greg and Jason apartment. And the, he, he, there's so many. It's such a movie with so many Easter eggs. Uh, I'm like, oh, my brain is spinning on on which one uh, I like. Uh, I like the most, but I think. Uh, I think these ones are my one of my among my favorite ones, the ones that come to mind first. I think as well they're not obvious choices where you'd say, "Oh, we had this, we had that." I think as well having that Easter egg of the painting uh, in Quinn's room is, as you said, it's like a nice little hint. And also having that, it's like makes me want to go back and watch it just to be like, like, oh, okay, like now we now we know. <laughs> like that, even though I've I've seen the film, but then when you start picking up these little breadcrumbs um, and piecing it together, I think that one, that's what makes the film so great as well. Is that 
even though you know the killer, it's like now I'm going to look out for other details to see where the design, where these sort of ideas and clues have been peppered in. Yeah, it was a real team effort and people were coming up like some decorators and props and they were coming up in graphics, you know, with ideas and like, oh, what if we did that? And every time we brought ideas to the directors, uh, they were just like falling for everything. Yes, let's do it. You know, they came up with the Abe Snake Bodega name, which was kind of a nice one uh, that I I had no idea what that was and had to look up, you know, like, what is this? You know, why? What are they? And when you look it up, you're like, oh, that's such an interesting idea to to, to put on a banner. So, you know, there were so many. We had a ready or not moving truck that came in uh, outside the bodega to hide. Uh, there was a bunch of graphics related to that movie and the actress was in it. And and, she, and there was, you know, one person wearing that costume in the subway uh, the subway scene is loaded with all these horror movie costumes. Uh, we also had a like a Halloween store in the back of the opening scene where you see all the costumes in the window of, of the horrors just to set up the Halloween feel at the beginning. That was a nice little uh, setup to, to create. We had a Mexican restaurant at the opening too and we made nice uh, playing with the Le Jour de la Mort, the Dia del Morte uh, theme. So all the heads, you know, uh, are the skeleton heads that have these big eyes that are not unlike uh, the ghost face mask and they're all over the restaurant. So we're trying to find, you know, a bunch of different elements to, to bring in horror ideas and and sprinkle them uh, throughout. So just so the fans would have, you know, layers and layers of things to see. And, and they do. I mean, it's amazing how much they... They were scrutinizing all the images that came out when the trailer came out of the of the shrine. It was so surprising to see the care that they were putting in trying to see everything that was in that image. Yeah, I think when I was researching, there was a number of sort of videos where people had stills going bit by bit from the trailer of the shrine, being like, "What we can find," and I, it, it's even these sort of what you said about that ape snake bodega. You know, that's a reference to Wes Craven's films from like the seventies. Yeah, he was uh, using that name when he was directing. From what I read, I mean, I'm, I'm not the Wes Craven uh, uh, reference here, but uh, from what I read, he, he was directing uh, pornographic movies and, and using that name as a as a cover-up. So I thought it was kind of funny to have that on our banner. <laughs> it's like really for the, for the initiated uh, people. It was like the really niche uh, information. Yeah, and I think that is the perfect note to end the episode on with that niche quote, not good quote, sorry, um, with that uh, niche fact. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. Scream 6, I think you can still catch it in cinemas, but it's also now on VOD to rent and buy. Thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. It was lovely. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.